Okay. Well, if we're all good to go, then we can go ahead and start the study tonight. Last week we left off, um, we started talking about the cherubim and seraphim just a bit. We're going to review that. All right. So uh, we talked about the different names for angels. Uh, They're called, of course, angels and hosts, sons of God, Elohim, holy ones, stars. But there are also some uh, terms that refer specifically to a, like a particular class of angels. And so that's really what we want to focus on tonight and make sure we uh, understand that as much as we can before moving on to the next thing. So I'll pray and then we'll start a review about cherubim and seraphim. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done and what you continue to do. God, we uh, totally rely on you for all that we have, all that we are. Uh, You are our creator and our sustainer. And Lord, we ask that tonight as we look into this amazing uh, aspect of your creation, this invisible world of spiritual beings, that you would give us insight, that you would help us to understand based on your word more about angels and that we would uh, grow in our appreciation for your creativity and for this world that you've designed. Uh, Help us to uh, just really have a sweet fellowship here together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week we looked at those three passages that you have. I believe you have them on your handout. Um, Yeah, you do. Those three passages uh, in the Old Testament that talk about the cherubim. What was going on in Genesis 3.24? What do you remember? (laughs) All right. Flaming swords. Uh, Good, okay. Good, good, good. So after the fall of Adam and Eve and they're removed from the garden, God sets up a cherub, which is an angel, a specific type of angel, to guard the garden. And he's got the, yeah, the flaming swords, which is just very interesting to think about, isn't it? Uh, what would that look like? Um, and then we also looked at a couple other passages in Exodus 25 and Psalm 99, and there are other places in the Old Testament where this word comes up. But as we were studying through this and thinking through this, The simple definition that I gave, basic definition, is that the cherubim are guardians of the divine presence. They are the the guardians of uh, God's holiness, you could say. As opposed to the seraphim. And they are only in one passage in the Bible, the one that's listed there, which is Isaiah 6. They are not cherubim, they're seraphim. And what are they doing in Isaiah chapter 6? The prophet Isaiah has this vision... And he sees the seraphim, and they're doing what? Hovering over. Yeah, they're hovering over the Lord. So in Psalm 99, we looked at the cherubim. God sits enthroned upon the cherubim. And with the seraphim, they're over the Lord. And what are they proclaiming? Holy, holy, holy. Yeah. So in that passage, they have a function of proclaiming. So cherubim tend to always have a, a function of guarding. And seraphim have a function, function of proclaiming. And I shared with uh, Logan last week that in Bible college, in my angelology class, class where you study the theology of angels, well, you study your theology about angels. Uh, we don't know what their theology is exactly. They have more perfect theology than we do. But um, I had this mnemonic device for how to remember. Cherubim, chair. Seraphim, say. Cherubim guard the chair or throne of God. 
a little bit of a stretch. And the seraphim say or proclaim God's holiness. So that's how I memorize the difference of function between the cherubim and the seraphim. So if that works for you, you're welcome. (laughs) I won't charge extra for that. But I also want to introduce to you the uh, four living creatures or the living beings. So let's all go to Revelation chapter 4 together, and then I'll pause after that and we'll um, discuss it. But Revelation chapter 4 introduces angels, but these are angels unlike any other angels we've seen in Scripture. They're not the way cherubim have been described, at least. They're certainly not the way seraphim have been described. They're the living beings. Let's have someone read Revelation chapter 4. Verses 5 through 8. Who will read that for us? I got it. Okay, go ahead. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Wow, that's a very interesting sight, isn't it? And verse 9 says, The living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. So the living beings, like all other angels, they worship God, right? And this is always important to remember because we can start to subconsciously in our minds think that angels, since they are this different class and they're so unique, especially when you read cases like this, that, um, you know, and they're higher than us too, that, well, maybe, you know, they, they don't worship God because they're busy doing their own thing and maybe they receive worship. Well, no, they don't. They never do. The angels never receive worship. They always worship their creator and their creator is the same as our creator. They're always worshiping God. And in the context of Revelation 4, where it goes from here is uh, to judgment. And so perhaps these living creatures in particular have a role in helping carrying out God's judgments. Now that's, of course, speculative, would not try to make a doctrine out of that at all. But perhaps that's what they do, since we find them here in this context in the Bible. Okay. But what about those descriptions, huh? That was something else. That'll give you nightmares almost, won't it? You got the first creature, like a lion. Second creature, like a calf. And notice it doesn't say exactly like a lion or a lion. It just says like a lion. Third creature, a face like that of a man. And that's all we get on the third creature. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And then the fuller detail is that each one of them has six wings, which is similar to? Seraphim. Yeah, right, in Isaiah chapter 6. They had six wings, the seraphim. Okay, so each one has six wings, and then they're full of eyes around and within. What does that even mean? (laughs) Disgusting. Disgusting, you say. Well, these aren't fallen creatures, so they're more beautiful than we are, right? Okay, but that's disgusting. (laughs) 
Okay, how about weird? We'll go with weird. All right, it's weird. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's kind of all we got there on those. Any, any thoughts or questions about this passage and this presentation of so when it's saying the living eye, creatures? Like, the all eyes, could that mean more like all seeing? Or was it literally saying that many eyes or that just that it could see it? Yeah, I mean, it, I would say it means that many eyes. So, um, you know, all seeing, only God is all seeing. You know, God is called in Genesis 18, the God who sees. And he's omnipresent, right? You can't confine him. He sees all things at all time. Um, angels, though, are creatures and have creaturely limitations. So, so it's meaning eyes, that many eyes. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're similar to the seraphim also in that they're proclaiming God is holy, right? Yep. Christ holy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Six mm-hmm. And it, what's really interesting about them, though, is that we're limited to four. They're four. Not like a multitude. You know, some, a lot of times you'll see in the Bible a ho- the host. We talk about how host is a word that means just a big multitude. And uh, other times you'll see multitude or myriads upon myriads. And this is, you got four. And he describes what each one looks like, and they're, they're different, which is interesting, too. With the seraphim in Isaiah 6, you kind of get the impression they all looked the same. And here, clearly they don't. You got one looking like a lion, another one like a cow, another one looks like us, in the face at least, and the other one looks like a, an eagle, a flying eagle. Pretty crazy, Melissa? Are these the same as Ezekiel 1? Are creatures in Ezekiel 1? Uh, I'd have to do a little bit of uh, study on that. I'm not confident to answer that question right now. But good cross-reference. Ezekiel chapter 1, is that what you said? Okay. Yeah, I should have been more prepared on that one. Hayden. So, the reason that they're different, could that be because they don't reproduce like we do, and each one is crafted by God? Yeah, right. Yeah, they're made, um, yeah, again, they're called sons of God, because they're made directly by God without any intermediary. Um, So God made them like this, Stacy. Um, he also made the disgusting flies. <laughs> <laughs> but they're in the fallen world here, okay? Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, they, they're unique creatures of God. Yeah, he, he crafted them uniquely. Yeah. Because the reason we're all the same is because we take after each other. Mm-hmm. They don't take after each other. Right. Yes. Yeah, they don't have kin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's no genetic... Markers that pass down eye color and things like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Good. Good. Move on to the next thing. Well, so th- there you go. As far as uh, like specific classes go in the Bible, these are your specific classes of uh, of angels, and we just don't get as much information as we'd like sometimes. But there they are. Okay. Um, again, I mentioned last week that they're also called you know, ministers, chariots, sons of the mighty, watchers, messengers. Uh, they have different names, but these seem to be classes that are referred to. Thank you, Aiden. I have another question. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So I was just wondering, and that pastor says the seven, the seven candles, or like the seven spirits. Lampstands? Yes. Yeah. Like seven spirits. Yes. What does that refer to? Yeah. So when it comes to what... Um, what the Apostle John was m- meaning 
Well, I mean, I don't know. What was he meaning, or was he just writing down exactly what he saw? Um, I guess just interpreting what it means that it says seven lampstands and seven spirits. There are different approaches people take with that. So one approach is to say, you know, seven is this number of completeness, and so it refers to being whole. And so when it says seven spirits, that doesn't mean there are seven spirits, but it means uh, like literally seven spirits, but it means that the fullness of the Holy Spirit, something like that. Um, seven lampstands and seven churches uh, doesn't mean necessarily that, you know, there were seven, but that it refers to the whole of the church. I could get you a uh, revelation commentary that walk you through some different interpretations of that because it's yeah, it's kind of, kind of a big conversation i guess is what i'm trying Why to say, you just say a, a whole church instead of seven? yeah right yeah that's pretty specific it is specific yeah okay or we'll move on to the next thing uh the other statement we're going to consider tonight because we again just we're finishing up the first statement from last week that the bible uses a variety of terms to identify angels Tonight, I want us to really focus on this one, that angels possess differing ranks within God's program. So let's all go to Ephesians chapter 1 together to see a bit of this spoken of. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at that passage there. But what we're going to find in Scripture, uh, and we're already seeing it as we're looking at the different names for angels and the different classes of angels, is that angels are an organized lot. They're not just, uh, you know, the bunch of creatures that God created and then there's just like a bunch of disorganization, but there's actually organization within the angels. And there's actually organization within humans too, isn't there? We have authorities in our lives. I'm not going to say anything if you're not going to say anything. Okay. Yes, we have authorities in our lives. And those authorities come from? God. God, yeah. And so with angels, it's actually the same. There's structure, and there's authority, and there's organization, and there's rank within the angels. Um, you can see when they're assembled or when there's a, a military conquest or something, there are people, there are not people, there are angels that have titles. And they not only have names, and they, no, uh, they not only have general labels, but they have titles. And in Ephesians 1, we can see some different labels that are used for the unseen realm. And again, we don't get like... Spelled out definitions the way that we would want, but it's quite interesting. So would someone read for us Ephesians 1, 18 to 21? Who's got that for us? All right. Okay. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in his saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. All rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Okay. So um, that last verse... I'm glad you read the last verse because that's the one we're looking at. Uh, all rule and authority and power and dominion. Those are interesting terms, and Paul uses them in a variety of places. If you did a study on this, if you've got a Bible with cross-references, or if you've got a good concordance where you can look these up, it's interesting to see these words used in Paul's letters. And he talks about rulers and authorities and powers and dominions, not just in the physical, earthly realm, like we would think of them, 
Because if we think of these, these words, our mind can go to police officers or governors or whatever. Well, Paul, I think, was actually rarely thinking of them when he would use words like this. I think more often he had in view the spiritual realm. Uh, in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 16, Colossians 1.16, Paul says, By Jesus, all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Okay, so uh, here he actually used a, a different word, thrones. So all of these not only have a physical, temporal, earthly significance, but they have a spiritual and an invisible significance. And often the Bible will link the invisible rulers, authorities, powers to the visible rulers, authorities, and powers. That there is a link there. Okay? And so um, the reason that we're looking at it in this point in our study is because these are different words. How, how much did Paul have in view these are specific ranks in the invisible realm? We just don't know. But they are different words that he uses. He doesn't just use one word. And so it's uh, quite possible that depending on a certain spirit's rule or authority or dominion, he would be above or below another spirit being. Okay? And we'll, we'll see a little bit of that, too, when we get into talking about Michael here in just a minute. But thoughts or questions on that concept of there being rule, power, authority, dominion, thrones in the invisible realm. Do you think that there's the same thing in like the, with demons, like different organized? Yes. Yeah, and so <clears throat> um, that's a good point, Joseph. So the uh, reason we're talking about angels first, because this is a class on angels and demons. We're talking about angels first, because where did demons come from? Well, they were angels, right? And so one of the things I want you to start thinking about as we go through this is what carries over when a demon or when an angel falls? <laughs> the, um, that's going to be something important to think about. Their knowledge carries over, right? Uh, spirits don't die, whether they're good spirits or evil spirits. Um, their experiences don't disappear. But what, about, what do you do with something like rule and authority and rank? That's an interesting thing. But yeah, I think we'll, we'll see evidence in Scripture that even in the, among evil spirits, there's that. Even just consider Satan and his demons. Satan has a position, even though he's a demon like the rest of them, he obviously has a position of authority over the rest. Melissa and then Lizzie. Uh, a good cross-reference for what you were saying about how Paul seems to be referring to the invisible rather than the visible is Ephesians 6, 13 through 14, where he says we yes. don't Yep. That's right. Yeah, and there are, like I said, multiple times in Paul's writings where he refers to these with these terms to the invisible realm. Lizzie? Still a little bit of a far out question, but Well I would expect nothing less. <laughs> so is that the same thing that would happen once we are passed on to the new mm. Like if you were a, if you were a king or a queen in this life, will you be a king or a queen in the new earth? Um, or Mm-hmm. Would we also be giving like would also the, like that um, hierarchy would exist 
Amongst us? Yes. There's um, actually clear indication in Scripture that into the new earth there is going to be rule and authority among us, the redeemed, in the new earth. Uh, Revelation 22, 21 and 22 mentioned two times kings that are existing in the new earth um, who are bringing the glory of nations into Jerusalem. And so nations exist and kings exist. Pretty fascinating. Oftentimes we don't think of it that way, but we should start thinking of it that way more. It's pretty cool. Yeah, Tyler. Uh, yeah, just talk about how the rule and authority carries over when an angel falls. And Jude talks about how Michael doesn't want anything to do with Satan and how he appeals to God because seemingly, like, he's above his authority, he's above his dragons. Like, I'm not even going to touch that, uh, but I'm going to appeal to the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating interactions that spirits have with each other. It's weird. Like we get these like little glimpses where we get to be a fly on the wall for one part of one conversation. It's like I want more, but we just take what the Lord gives us and try to patch it together. Okay. Um, why do you think, in God's design, He created different rules, authority, uh, different levels of rule and authority and dominion in the invisible realm? Expand on that just a little bit. Well, without something, you have chaos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And our God is a God of order or chaos? Order. Oh, order. Yeah, good. Good, good. Good answer. Yeah. This totally reflects God's design, doesn't it? That he is a God of order. Um, why do we have authorities in our world today? Because God is a God of order. Why do we have structure, leadership structure in government? Because God is a God of order. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's even in animals, to the basic and to everything, <laughs> there's always a peck in everything. Yeah. Every, everything on earth, there's, there, there mm -hmm. are levels and there's yes. orders. Yep, even when it seems so strange to us, um, but it's still order. I, I mean, my mind kind of went to, uh, I don't know why, the penguins. Yep. The, the male penguin, you know, has the egg, and he stays with the egg. And it's like so reversed from like all the other animals and stuff like, what's going on? But it's still order. I mean, it's just amazing. God's a God of order. It's pretty cool. Okay. Well, let's look at um, not just rank, but also some specific names and some specific case studies when it comes to angels. And let's see if we can pull together everything we've looked at in this lesson from the top of the sheet down to this point as we consider Satan and Michael and Gabriel. Three Angels, you could say that we know by name, though Satan isn't really his name, neither is Lucifer, by the way, but we'll get to that. Uh, starting with Isaiah 14. Let's all go there together and look at Isaiah 14. We're going to look at the two about Satan together because these are very important for you to know for your own personal theology, not just of angels, but of evil and sin itself, the origin of sin, and uh, all kinds of other things. So Isaiah 14, and we'll start in verse 11. And what you'll find if you're looking at the context of Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 is that both of these prophecies are being proclaimed to kings, earthly kings. So we're going to be reading about the uh, king of Tyre in Ezekiel 28, I believe. And which, which king uh, in Isaiah 14? My mind just went blank. Babylon. Okay. So the king of Babylon in Isaiah 14. And this is what I'm talking about, how God will link together the invisible rulers with the earthly rulers. 
Because you have a prophet of God making a proclamation against the king of Babylon. So you're thinking rule, authority, power, dominion, throne, earthly, Babylon. But then all of a sudden, as you're reading, it's like, wait a second, this can't apply to the king of Babylon. We're, now our mind has gone somewhere else. And that's because God's not only speaking to him, but he's speaking to the invisible rule, authority, dominion behind him. Okay, so let's look at this together. Isaiah 14, 11 to 15. Who can read that for us? Those five verses. Thanks. 11. Your pomp is brought down to shield. The sound of your harps, maggots, maggots are laid as a bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to shield to the far reaches of the pit. All right. So you see what I'm saying? Like some of this, it's like, okay, that could apply to him. But then there's other stuff like you've fallen from heaven. <laughs> Okay, well, that seems to go beyond King of Babylon, doesn't it? Um, any of you got a King James? Char, do you have a King James with you? You see Lucifer in that chapter? Which verse do you have it in? Twelve. 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 Where, um, I imagine where ours says star of the morning. Okay. So the only place you get the term name Lucifer is in Isaiah 14, 12 in the King James Version. Isn't that fascinating? So our translation, that the main one that we use here, New American Standard, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning. King James Version says, O Lucifer. Um, it should say star of the morning to more accurately reflect the Hebrew. And I don't, I'm certainly no expert as to how the word Lucifer uh, got in there as like the name for Satan that we're going to use. Um, so I can't really answer that. But I do know the only place that you have it in the Bible is this verse in the King James Version. Joseph. Yeah, in the King James, like it says, like, O Lucifer, and then it's comma, son of the morning. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so to, to have Lucifer in there, I don't know if, I don't think there's any Hebrew translation warrant for that. Um, so that's literally yeah, day star. Day star. Who said some? Sorry, I no, said okay. in the Amplified, uh, it says light reader, and it does say that there's a note here that the Hebrew for this expression is translated Lucifer, light reader, in the Latin Holy. Latin, there you go. Yeah. It's always Latin's fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's the difference between Sheol and hell? We'll get there on that one week where we're talking about locations of demons. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, it's always next week. November 1st. November 1st. Yeah. Okay. Because there are, there's, uh, yeah, there are different answers to that. Okay. Thoughts or questions about this Isaiah 14 passage as it pertains to Satan? So, so yeah. his, when he was an angel before fallen, his name wasn't Lucifer, it wasn't Satan. That wasn't his actual His name was... Yeah, so there's, um, there's debate as to whether we know his actual name at all, um, if Satan is his actual name. Because what's interesting, when you think about Michael and Gabriel, like those are 
you know, pretty common names through Hebrew history. Um, and anyway, well, I, I, again, I'm not, pre- I'm not prepared to answer a lot of things tonight. My brain's kind of at the uh, end of its rope, I think. But um, when he was an angel before he fell, um, he had a name. And he probably maintains that name. That's what I would say. And do we know that name? Is it Satan? Maybe, maybe not. I wouldn't say Lucifer, though. Andy. Follow-up question. Yeah. You are recording these, right? Yes. For better or worse. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, Let's also jump over to Ezekiel 28. This is a a parallel account, almost, of the fall of Satan. But again, you've got a prophet of God speaking to an earthly king. And as you're reading along, it's all sounding interesting. Like, okay, he's slamming the king of Tyre. But no, actually, there's more going on. In fact, kind of right from the get-go in this one, it's like, there's got to be more to this than just the king of Tyre. So let's have someone read verses 11 to 19. Ezekiel 28, 11 to 19. Lizzie, go ahead. 11 to 19? Yep. Okay, let's just pause right there for a moment. Say to the king of Tyre, you were in Eden, the garden of God. So it's like, okay, there's more going on than just talking to a a king, right? He wasn't in the garden. There were only two people who were in the garden and wasn't the king of Tyre. Uh, And then there was a serpent. So there you go. Okay, Lizzie, keep going. If you want, you can skip the names of the, uh, the stones if you'd like, or you could impress us all. Wow. Well, let's look at verses 14 and 15. What pieces of information do we get there that you find interesting? Okay. We don't have to speculate about what kind of angel Satan was. He held a position as one of the cherubim. He was an anointed cherub. What else? Okay. You were on the holy mountain of God. 
So he was in a very privileged position, wasn't he? Um, he was not influenced by anything evil around him. He was on the holy mountain. All right. Ezekiel 28, 15 is where we see the origin of sin. You want to know where sin began? It's right here. Ezekiel 28, 15, those last two words, circle them, highlight them, whatever. He was blameless. There was no sin in all of creation up to this point. He was blameless from the day he was created until unrighteousness was found in him. That's where evil began. Lizzie. So, how can sin exist out of nowhere? It wasn't out of nowhere. It was in Satan. But, but, <laughs> the, the angels weren't, they were blameless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Satan himself was blameless. Until. But, yeah, he was blameless until he wasn't. Perfect. But he can't repent. <laughs> he can't repent. He, he can't, he can't, you know, Mm -hmm. Because I don't know, I mean, maybe that existed at that time, but like, if he wasn't like in a place where he's like, oh, I have to watch, make sure that I'm repenting mm -hmm. or purge himself from sin. Mm -hmm. So how could that happen? How could, how could sin exist when there was no law? Well, we don't really get that answer, do we? But we know, we know what the sin is, or was, and it continues today. What was the sin? Pride. 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 Yep. Self-exaltation. To be exalted. I will make myself like the Most High. To be like God. To become God. To be over God. It, that's that's self-exaltation and pride was the original sin. Yep. Nothing happened outside his plan. So. Yep. I mean, that's why. Yeah. Yes, and we, we just have to be content with that. I mean, that's a why. We don't know how. Um, how is just unanswerable other than sin was in him. Yeah. Yes. Well, no, there's, in Job, we see that he can come into God's presence. Okay. So uh, God even asked him, where, where were you? And he says, I was roaming around on the face of the earth, right? So there's a coming in and out. All the sons of God were presenting themselves before God, and Satan was among them. Uh, we see in the New Testament in particular that really the earth is his dominion. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one, the God of this world, the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air. All that refers to this sphere. Hey. So don't angels have free will? What do you mean by free will? Like, are they able to control their actions and their intentions? <laughs> or are they controlled by God? Um, can angels sin? Yes. Some did. Some did. Well, that's where I mean, if you, if you have free will, then doesn't that open up the path where they chose sin? Mm-hmm. Some did. And so that's where, once you choose sin, then it's no longer an angel. 
Right. There's no going back. That's a one-way door. You walk through it, you can't... It's like the, the tire spikes. You go over, you can't... Yeah. So that isn't just saying that Satan was just the first angel to choose sin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not, not that God crafted something. It, Correct. It was, it was Satan's yes. free will. He said, yes. I'm going to defy God. Correct. That's right. Now, there are angels who will not do that, ever. And it's because they are chosen by God. And that's what we saw in an earlier lesson in 1 Timothy 5. Paul says that there are angels who are elect, and they will never sin. So just like us. Like, we, not that we will never sin, <laughs> but... Yeah, yeah, the chosen part. Chosen. Yes. yes. Good. Anna. Well, didn't we come to an agreement previously that God took away their free will now, after Satan already fell? Yeah, so can a demon uh, honor God? No. Can a demon be redeemed? No. No. So they're pretty well locked in, aren't they? Yeah. So the angels can't switch again. You know, like Correct. The, the angels that haven't fallen can't decide to fall. Yeah, and we'll get to that when we talk about, okay, how did the angels turn into demons, and does that still happen? Or was it an event and we're done? Mm. So we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's now talk about Michael. Okay, so we just learned a little bit about Satan. I know you probably have more questions, and we're going to do a whole section on demons. It'll take multiple weeks. We'll talk more about Satan later. Um, let's talk about Michael by going to Daniel 10. Daniel chapter 10, starting in verse 10. And we will read for a while. <laughs> I don't know where I wanted to stop on that one. Uh, maybe we'll just stop at 14. Who would read verses 10 to 14 for us? Pamela, go ahead. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me in steadily on my hands and knees. So he said to me, O Daniel, you highly regarded and greatly beloved man, understand the words that I am about to say to you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. And while he was saying this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was standing in opposition to me for twenty-one days. Then, behold, Michael, one of the chief of the celestial princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is in regard to the days yet to come. Whoa. Okay. So what's going on with angels here, particularly as it relates to rank? What do we see? He was a he was a messenger or lower angel that was sent okay. to minister to Daniel. Okay. And he was fighting with mm. Satan. Well, it doesn't say Satan. It doesn't say Satan, but the prince of Persia, mm -hmm. from the kingdom of Persia, mm -hmm. for twenty-one days. That's three weeks, folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to you and me, that's three weeks. Yeah, it's three uh -huh. weeks. Yeah. And Michael is who? One of the chief princes. All right. 
So if everyone was a chief prince, then there's no use being a chief prince because what, who are you chief or prince over, right? So that means there's some sort of variation here in rank with Michael, who's a chief prince. And then you also have this prince of the kingdom of Persia and trying to understand how much of that is earthly, how much of that is spiritual. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Lizzie? Yes, we're looking at that next. Oh. Yep. Good. Do what? Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Right, yeah. <laughs> Lizzie does that all the time. Pamela. <clears throat> it reminds me of Frank Peretti's um, Piercing the Darkness, mm. this present darkness where the, I know it's, it's a story, right. but where like the Prince of Persia where they have the domains, you know, the, the, the enemy has his domains, of mm -hmm. course God rules over everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so Joseph, going back to your question earlier about um, on the demon side of things, you know, ranks and authority and all that stuff, passages like this make us think, yeah, there's something like that going on on both sides, angels and demons, so, yeah, yeah, pretty interesting. Well, let's look also at Jude 9, because Michael is brought up again there. Um, two angels we get names for, Michael and Gabriel. And so we just saw Michael there in Daniel 10. And then also in Jude 9 and in Revelation 12, 7, uh, we see Michael brought up. We heard him called the chief prince, or one of the chief princes in Daniel 10. And here in Jude 9, it says, Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Okay, so a couple of interesting things there. You've got Michael being called an archangel, again signifying rank, of different levels of authority within the angelic world. Uh, because if everyone's an archangel, then no one's an archangel. But Michael was an archangel. And you have this amazing picture of him disputing with the devil, with Satan himself, over the body of Moses. Who would like to elaborate on that event? Uh, <laughs> We just don't have that information, do we? Cannot, because that's the only place it's talked about. It's what we got, right? And, and he says, the Lord rebuke you. And so you've got an archangel fighting with the devil. And remember, the devil, of course, or the evil one, or the enemy, these are all different words that refer to Satan. Satan was an anointed cherub we just read about. So he was one of the guardian angels, and he was particularly anointed and beautiful and blameless. He had some sort of privileged position. And so there's a fighting with an archangel after the fall of Satan over the body of Moses. And uh, that's about all we got. Oh, it's crazy. Super crazy. Okay. But since it said the body of Moses, should we assume that it was after Moses died? That yes. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't newborn Moses. Okay. <laughs> And then I'll read to you Revelation 12, 7. Uh, <laughs> again, we'll get to this later. <laughs> there was war in heaven. You don't think of heaven as a place where there's war, right? There was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. <coughs> the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. Wow. 
Okay, so what are we looking for tonight? There's so much we could talk about here, but for tonight, what are we looking at? Michael's mentioned again by name. That's important to note. Okay, we've got Michael mentioned Old Testament, New Testament, multiple places. You've got Michael and his angels, again, signifying that Michael had some sort of rank or class that had him be a leader. It was Michael and his angels. He was leading them in war. You also have uh, the dragon and his angels, the dragon here being Satan. So Satan has some kind of rank and authority over his angels. And in this war, good guys win. Okay, that's good. Now, again, all kinds of questions we could ask. When did this happen? What are the ramifications of this? This is, you know, as you uh, read through this passage, the, uh, this is where you can hear, uh, read about the third of the stars fell, which is where we get this idea that a third of the angels became demons. Uh, that is back in verse 4, uh, but another day. Okay? Questions on Michael or thoughts about Michael and his rank and his authority in the angelic realm? Joanna. It says archangel. Yes. Is that, like, is that any, do we put it anywhere in like, the cherubim? No, because, I mean, the word angel is pretty generic, right? Um, so with Satan, he was an anointed cherub. And so he had some kind of prominence among the cherubim that made him, you know, a higher rank. Angel, of course, is pretty general. We just know he was, he's a higher rank of, of angels. And he was called in Daniel 10 one of the chief princes, implying, of course, there are more. So he's not the only chief prince, um, potentially not the only archangel, right? So, yeah. Must be an important one for him to be in the play. Yes. Maybe the archangel, the head of the archangel, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, if for, for us to only have the names of two angels in all of Scripture, uh, to be one of those two means you must have a pretty prominent role. He's definitely over some angels because it says Michael and his angels. Correct. Yep, that's it. Okay, and then now let's talk about Gabriel. So we look, talked about Michael, let's talk about Gabriel. I'll uh, go ahead and dole out these passages. Daniel 9, 20 to 23. Who can grab that one? Daniel 9, 20 to 23. Melissa. And then Luke 1. Ooh, that's long, isn't it? I got it. You can do that? Yeah. Okay. And then I'll do 26 to 28 after that. Um, after you read 13 verses, I'll read three. <laughs> so uh, now let's look for the name Gabriel and the details we can gather about Gabriel. Again, just two names of angels that we have in all of Scripture. Michael and Gabriel, and we see Gabriel show up in that same book of Daniel, in the chapter that uh, precedes the one about Michael. Daniel 9, 20 to 23. Go ahead, Melissa. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in a in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. All right. So, Gabriel, who has visited Daniel before, comes to him in, what does it say in verse 9, uh, 21 in your version, Melissa? He came to him in? Oh, New American Standard says extreme weariness. What's up with that? Well, um, there are certain times where you get some unique Hebrew language used, and 
rendering it in English, you can go one of two directions. That's one of those cases here. And so, again, does this affect any of our doctrine, any theology? No. Um, it's a detail about how he came, and it could go either way there. But uh, either way, he was uh, going to be tired because he was either going swiftly or, it says as plainly, he was weary. And he gives instruction, verse 22, and talks to Daniel. And uh, we'll see as we consider Gabriel through the scriptures, not just here, not just in Luke that we're about to look at, but anywhere you see Gabriel in the multiple places he shows up, is he is a, an angel who comes to share messages from God, to proclaim messages from God. He's not waging war like Michael is, and he's not given the title of chief prince or archangel like Michael is. But he's got a name, and he shows up with the message. And uh, perhaps the most famous place he does that is Luke chapter 1. So, Andy, you want to go ahead and read that longer passage for us? Yep. Uh, now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. He Daniel. calls himself an old man, but the wife is advanced. <laughs> Smart guy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and, un and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Hmm. Amazing account there. Uh, but what do we learn about Gabriel? What did you pick up? He's a man. Okay, well, he appears as a man, right? <clears throat> yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Verse 19, stands in the presence of God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, man, it just seems like on the fly, he made that call. Like, God gave him the authority just to make that call. Like, you're going to shut up now. Bang. That's pretty amazing. Um, but again, we don't know the mechanics of how all that works, so let's not speculate too far. It's just an interesting observation. And we drop down to 26 to 28, we can see a little bit more. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin named or engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary and coming in he said to her greetings favored one the lord is with you 
So not only was he the one who talked to Zacharias and made the proclamation about John the Baptist, but here he is coming to Mary and making the proclamation about Jesus. He's like the stork. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, he, he specializes in pregnancy announcements or something, yeah. Um, so yeah, here he is showing up. Um, I guess what we could say about Gabriel is that he is a special messenger of God who reveals major aspects of God's program. I mean, that with Daniel, the revelations that Daniel was about to give were major aspects of God's program. This, in Luke chapter 1, I mean, these are huge events in, the, in God's timeline of what he's doing in the world. And so Gabriel is used to reveal major items in the plan of God. Okay? So, pretty interesting. But as far as specific angels go, um, besides the angel of the Lord, which we'll study next week or something, uh, these three, Satan, Michael, Gabriel, those are the three that we have specifics about. All right? So we got three, four minutes left. Any final thoughts or questions? Melissa? What did you say about the name Satan? Where did it comes from? Well, uh, what I'm saying is uh, we shouldn't consider it right off the bat a proper name like Michael or Gabriel. Okay? And we'll look at that more later. When we talk about the origin and personality of Satan in more detail later on. Hey. So with the hymn, with Gabriel causing Joseph not to speak, does that mean they have some sort of authority over us to punish us? For <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting. It, um, it was Zacharias. Uh, when Zacharias didn't believe him, it is just like right from the, just right off the cuff, right? He just said, um, and I'm going to throw this in there too. Uh, you can't talk now. So it, I think it, it would be a fair conclusion to say God gave him and some angels a measure of authority to be able to do such a thing. Um, they can't sin. So anytime they do something like that, that seems just like a free act that's spontaneous, we have to recognize that it's not sinful. It's God approved. And again, the mechanics of how all that works, I, I can't draw that out on the board. No so, yeah. Brandon. So, because I mean, they can't sin, so what they're doing is just and right. Correct. Yes. It wasn't mean, uh, it wasn't uh, a it sinful was anger or anything like that. No, it was just fair. Humbling. Yep. Yep. And God's done uh, many more things to people uh, to shut them up, like Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, another example from the book of Daniel, where he was eating grass for seven years, you know, so, yeah. Jim. Well, uh, Zacharias was asking for a sign. How do I know? Yeah, that's right. So, uh, <laughs> got one. Here you go. Here's your sign, right? That's what that one comedian says. So, uh-huh. Yep. Good. Do you think that they would ever be in front of God, like how some people that ask God will... How do I know this? Or what, what, do, I, what do I say if they don't believe me? Mm. Think yeah. Gabriel asked God, what if, what if he says, how do I know or something? And he said, make him not talk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> angels are not all-knowing. So, for sure. Yeah. That, uh, like Moses, when he's interacting with God and says, you know, well, what if they say this? What if, you know, what, what should I do? I could totally see angels inquiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. An interesting invisible world you're living in all around you every day. A little more insight there. So next week, what are we looking at next week? Is it the angel of the Lord? Was I right? Yes. Okay, we're going to look at some instances of angels in the Old Testament. 
and uh, particularly look at the angel of the Lord, a, uh, a character who shows up many times in the Old Testament, perhaps more than you realize. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much again for your creativity and your goodness. We thank you that you have put us in an amazing world that just shouts your glory. Help us to recognize you and honor you in our day-to-day living, that uh, we would seek to, to bless you with the truth you've given us in your word and the love you've put in our hearts, that we would live for you and that we would be alert, that we would not be Christians who are asleep in the light, but that we would be alert in a twisted and perverse generation, that as we go out into the world, we would take the truth with us and we'd represent you well as your ambassadors. In Jesus' name, amen.